0: Hello and welcome to Romaniacs. This is, unfortunately, our final podcast before we leave the European Union. But Brexit is not done yet and neither is Romaniacs. (laughs) Lots of listeners are feeling understandably deflated about this sorry turn of events. Uh, We can't promise there won't be a few wobbles before the end of the podcast, but even without the aid of special stamps, 50p coins and commemorative pork pies, we will try to keep our spirits (laughs) up. (laughs) I'm Dorian Linsky. I'm here with a few of our regulars. Naomi Smith is CEO of Best for Britain, maestro of MRP data. Hi, Naomi. Hello. So, Best for Britain has published fresh data because it's all about the fresh data.
1: Bringing data back.
0: Which reveals that 90% of people (laughs) think a Brexit deal with the US will put the NHS at risk. 63% support freedom of movement. In keeping with recent weeks, not much change, I think. 47% think it is wrong to leave the EU and 40% are in favour. How does this data sort of tally with the with the election result, given a lot of these quite liberal leanings? It didn't seem to stop the country voting for a hard Brexit government.
1: Well, the majority of the, gov- the country didn't. So 53% obviously didn't vote for uh, the Conservatives and, and Brexit party. Um, and it's pretty consistent with what we've known all along, that actually freedom of movement is pretty popular. And what we found interesting about this latest cut of it is that it's, particularly favoured when it is totally reciprocal so when it's apples for apples it's our right to go and live and love and study and work there and in return they get to come here yeah pretty pretty supportive of it it drops ever so slightly when it's a less transactional thing so it's like well in order for our businesses to be able to sell into the single market are you happy for them to be able to come and live here yes they are but Mm. slightly less so so it's all about the framing of it but it's conservative voters you know they are They are in favour of it. New Conservative voters in the seats that have gone from Labour to Conservatives. There is no regional variation whatsoever in the Mm. data. Redbridge, Redcar, exactly the same levels of support for freedom of movement. So I think that's interesting. We've got it at a constituency level for particularly the new MPs that maybe don't know their constituents quite as well as they thought they did and i think another thing that's really interesting is the work that our friends at another europe is possible have done they've um, released a report today talking about uh labor and how you know their their election analysis of it and it's it's really interesting because it's sort of talking to a lot of this which is that it's wishful thinking that any kind of decrease in austerity can bring back those so- socially conservative voters to uh, the Labour Party um, uh, what the Conservatives did really well was to understand this new axis and build a coalition around this open closed axis and Labour didn't um, and and the majority of the country is still open minded and is still open to free movement um, and it's a shame that we've got a government that isn't hmm.
0: And obviously, you know, you've been with the kind of anti-Brexit campaign in various forms all the way through. It's been the season of counterfactuals. Mm. And what a lot of people uh, are saying, particularly on the sort of Labour side, is that, you know, the whole idea of pursuing a people's vote was, was foolish and it was too extreme and we could have gone for a, a soft Brexit. And the stuff that you were kind of you were studying and mm. public opinion, talking to politicians mm. or whatever, was there, like, was there a missed opportunity for a soft Brexit, or did was it ever it was likely to line up? It was
1: never an offer. Um, you know, there was a, a handful of Labour MPs, and at most, ever advocating for it. Um, and when we had indicative votes on it, you know, it did all right, but it, it never looked like it was going to be more popular um, in Parliament than than anything else. Um, and. We've even had Brexit Party MEPs saying, "Well, who's going to stand up for us now?" You know, and the, the headlines could have written themselves at the time, and I think they will now. We're in transition, where we are rule takers, but with absolutely no ability to be rule makers. You know, Daily Mail will say, "Look at all these laws we now have to abide by," and our Prime Minister wasn't even at the negotiating table. Um, That—that's what any kind of Norway model was always going to be. Now it's the best that we can hope for, but it was never an offer in any serious way in the
0: last three years. Ian Dunt is editor of politics.co.uk. His book, How to Be a Liberal, is out in the spring, bringing sexy liberalism back.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What
2: are you
0: doing? Ian, the Labour NEC report on the election, uh, authored by impartial experts Ian Lavery and Andrew Gwynn, (laughs) has concluded that... Neither Corbyn nor the manifesto were to blame for the defeat. Uh, it was m- shocking. All down, it was all down to Brexit, long-term democratic change, and the nasty media. Mm. Meanwhile, the latest YouGov poll puts the Tories twenty points ahead. Um, mm. Do certain parts of the party just want it to to die? Would they just <laughs> rather it just died, <laughs> as long as they didn't have to take any responsibility? I, I don't know what else to make of this report.
3: It's like I mean, so parts of it are just like a sort of degenerative research project, right? So they're just like... They're fighting against falsification. So, any data that comes their way, like, I don't know, like a general election where your messiah is absolutely trounced, sort of just has to be reinterpreted in a way that preserves the original belief. So, mm-hmm. you just find whatever it is you do and you swap it around. It's basically like the Marxists, you know, going, oh, it turns out, sorry, we had to change a thing. You know, in fact, there's got to be a vanguard of the proletariat now, but don't worry, the theory still holds. The theory still holds. And that's basically what they're doing. But, like, we were talking about this before, right? Do you remember like, I think it was like our last live show last year. It was one after the election where it was just like, clearly there are Corbyn supporters we can now work with. You could feel it after the election. Hmm. Just having that thing of like, it felt to me like about a half to two thirds of them were just open. And there was that sense of shock and of like, okay, I get it. Something has to change. And, you can see that, I think, in the polling, such as we have it, like among you guys, for, for Keir Starmer, which clearly shows like a bunch of Corbin cool guys are going over. There's a hardcore rump that aren't, and they're now, you know, going to Rebecca Longbailey. They're online, they're shouting. So,
1: Be- Becky Longbailey, you have to right, call her from right,
3: Okay, yeah. With, are you using a hyphen or are you not? Because she clearly doesn't know how to spell her own name.
1: That's, it's
0: know. Becky Longbailey, two hyphens.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> one, one word, two hyphens, <laughs> <laughs> like an adjective. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> and they make the things that they make you want to kick back in the same. Because then you're like, oh, you fuck! How can you not a uh, fucking? But then you sort of think, well, the more I do that, the more you know, alienating it is to to people who are more pragmatic on the whatever. So it's hard to keep all of this going at one time. Basically, it's it's trying is what it is. There's been a lot of that recently, and it's carrying on.
0: And Alex Andreu is making his last appearance on Romaniacs for a couple of months while he attends to family matters in Greece. Alex, hello. hello. We'll miss you. Thank you. You've been diligently keeping your promise to not badmouth any of the candidates for Labour Leadership.
2: Haven't I done well?
0: Fortunately, <laughs> Unite General Secretary Len McCluskey is not a candidate for the Labour leadership. Thank you. For <laughs> that. So, so I'm granting you a Len exemption. Um has it has it been helpful to see him
2: back in the debate? Um no, it hasn't. It really hasn't. Um Watching Len McCluskey, I mean, okay, he prefers Becky Long Bailey. We'll have to say it na- like that from yeah. now on. So he prefers Becky Long Bailey. Um, but watching him trying to justify choosing Richard Bergen over <laughs> Angela Rayner <laughs> is just a thing of beauty. It's the vision. Yeah. It's, it's the, the vision, vision It's the vision. Should have gone to Specsavers. Um, but. It's just extraordinary because the only attribute that Richard Bergen has over people like Angela Rayner and Ian Murray, who we had in, on the show last week, seems to me to be um, not having a brain of his own mm. <laughs> mm. Uh, and doing as he's told. So it lays the whole thing bare and it lays the, the, the sort of the dishonesty of the Rebecca Long-Bailey campaign bear for all to see, because I think if the primary attribute of that duo is that they will do as they're told mm-hmm. by a bunch of, you know, the same people who were basically telling Corbyn what to do, then there will be no change. Mm-hmm. So I was having a chat to a couple of people from my local CLP Um, the other day who were very staunch Corbynistas and are now slightly more wavering. And we were discussing Keir Starmer and one of them said to me, he's a little bit too slick. And I just thought... What does that mean? What does that mean? He's a bit too professional. But don't you remember you? that insult? It's he like, oh, yeah. He presents himself quite well. You're going to get, what, a well-spoken bastard.
0: guy in a suit. And it's like, oh, no, not suits. No. <laughs> Everyone no. knows the people in suits are yeah, been... neoliberal
2: trash. Yeah, he should be on Mar, you know, on Sunday morning in a card gun with holes in it, holding a turnip. That will make him clearly I a better I just don't want a return. I just don't understand I just it.
1: Don't... I don't get it. We cannot have a return to the, like, man cleavage thing. Do you remember... Tony Blair was unbuttoning lower and lower to try and be Mr. I'm not up. yeah yeah be still Andrew's beating (laughs) heart our producer
2: Andrew's fanning
0: himself (laughs) (laughs) this week we'll be discussing how after four years of frothing press coverage and parliamentary drama the fact of us leaving the EU on Friday feels both important and a non-event at the same time it's the magic of Brexit plus casting our gaze to the future we'll consider what Britain might look like post-Brexit Will we become federal? Will Labour's progressive patriotism rebuild the Red Wall? Will the top 40 become interesting again? No. We'll see. <laughs> we'll also pick the best way to spend your commemorative Brexit 50 p No permanent markers are required. And we've got a bonanza of foreign language clips. And we'll be choosing the last thing ever to go into the Brexit time capsule. That's after a few reminders from Naomi.
1: As one door closes, another opens... There's a new addition to the Romaniacs family of nations, a brand new podcast called The Bunker, and it's out now. If you've ever wondered what Romaniacs would sound like without all the Brexit stuff, then The Bunker is for you. It's a weekly podcast that talks about everything else in politics, from new ideas about the economy and technology, to climate change and digital disinformation, to domestic and international politics, all in the Romaniac style. There'll be some familiar voices and some brand new ones too. The first edition is available now with Ian, Roz Taylor and special guest Amy Pope, former Homeland Security Advisor to Barack Obama, talking about Trump impeachment, the Labour leadership and the future of the BBC. The Bunker, out every Wednesday. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And also don't forget we have Romaniacs Live in Liverpool on Saturday the 15th of February. Ian, Roz, and producer Andrew will be joined by not one, but two special guests. Liverpool University's genius of Brexit, Professor Michael Dugan, and the Liverpool Echoes politics editor, Liam Thorpe. Tickets are on sale now at ticketline.co.uk slash Romaniacs.
0: Thanks, Naomi. Our first topic this week, is this it? For four years, Brexit's been the biggest, most important issue this country has faced in decades. Mark Francois has promised to pull an all-nighter to watch the sunrise oh, on... You a free- can't use his proper... You've got oh, to Frank use real name. Sorry, sorry typo (laughs) okay Frank Mansoir has promised to pull an all-nighter to watch the sun rise on a free country like a Toby Jug Thanos (laughs) but overall it feels like a bit of a damp squib the government seems to have toned down its Brexit triumphalism with number 10 trying to ban the use of the word Brexit altogether and in the press too apart from the Daily Express, uh, where we once saw front-page splashes about the Brexit mutineers and enemies of the people. Uh, there's been no real victory lap to give us Ramona's... Oh, sorry. There's been no real victory lap to give us Ramona's what for. Naomi, does it feel kind of low-key because the real victory for Brexiters was back in December and really all that we've seen over the last few weeks is playing out what happened on the 12th?
1: I don't think so. I think it's feeling low-key because they're a bit nervous. Um, and I don't want to you know, talk up and give us false hope or anything like that, but I think as it's got closer, they have genuinely begun to get a little bit panicked about all of this. It's real now. It's happening now. And they know they're going to be saddled with it. Um, very few of them have uh, you know, decided that they're going to front this all up on Friday. They're leaving it to Frank Mansoir and Richard Tice and others. Um, and I think that that, that, that to me smells of people that are nervous about what's coming um, and they're all a little bit unsure and they don't want to be overly hubristic about it in case it really does come back to bite them on the arse which of course we've all predicted all along that it probably will um, sooner rather than later. Because
0: Ian that is a curious thing Um, I think that since the election most writing about Brexit even from kind of anti-Brexit journalists has been really about sort of Westminster victories and defeats and not really talking about the kind of negative consequences of Brexit, which of course haven't changed at all. And even when people are talking about what Labour will be facing in 2024, not that much talk about the fact that Brexit may well have caused quite a lot of damage and made the Tories mm-hmm. quite unpopular now that they own it. So it's been a kind of weird period where almost even even to see people popping up on social media to go... Uh, you know, look at this factory moving or look at these latest economics figures. Mm -hmm. It's sort of regarded as a little bit like, oh, come on, lads, you lost. Do you know what I mean? Almost Mm -hmm. like the the, 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 the sort of football match quality of an election is just like, you've lost, it's happening. But none of the things that we've been talking about for the last three and a half years are suddenly made redundant. Like all those dangers are still there.
3: But there's this sort of, black it's not a black hole of news it's just a complete absence because for a start the government hasn't put forward any ideas really about what it's going to try and do in the trade talks i mean we've had such a javid come out and say no alignment but you sort of Mm -hmm. think do you mean it do you even know what the fucking words are that are coming out of your terrible mouth um you have no (laughs) labor leader like laborer sort of like just you 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 don't know where they're going to end up right It, it, it could be obviously if it's becky long bailey is that how we're saying it? Yeah. Becky. Becky
2: Long Becky? Bailey. Becky Long Bailey. You're Bayley. driving towards Bailey all the way through. It's, it's, it's an advert. It's an advert. Becky Long Bailey. Yeah. Perfect. So got,
3: if it's Becky Long Bailey. Yeah. It's very different to if you're gonna have a Keir Starmer. So we we can't even tell on the remain side whether there's gonna be something to sort of, you know, congeal around or any kind of like effective opposition to what's being said. Um, talks haven't started. Everything that's going on is just sort of like shite pageantry, really. You know what I mean? It's just like stuff rumbling through and taking place, but there's no debate there, not on the European side, not on our side. So there's just sort of almost nothing to talk about because the things haven't slotted into position yet in order for us to, 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 to have that conversation. I do think pretty much as soon as it's done, that starts, and that's yeah. when that conversation really urgently needs to take place, and I presume that it ultimately will. Because th- So
2: sorry, can I say something? What's worrying is that because we've had such a terrible period in the last three years where you know no deal was threatened really quite heavily for a long time and because we're now going into a transition period the the danger for me is that this the effect will be kind of smoothed the curve will be smoothed there will never be that one day where everything goes wrong and it will be like like when i did my back in i put on six stone I was in bed mm. for two months and i put on six stone and i genuinely didn't have a fucking clue i i genuinely did not know and my partner who saw me every day didn't know i mean he knew i would put on some weight but it was only when i got out of bed and went to put a pair of trousers on that i couldn't get them past my knee <laughs> that i knew there there was a significant mm. problem and i don't know what that <clears throat> moment is for brexit i don't know mm-hmm. what the moment is when the cumulative economic effect of all those things that have been slowly happening over the last three years is felt. Well I think there's something to do with the nature of news and also
0: the nature of kind of emotional reactions to the news. Because mm. I've seen the kind of people that have been saying for the last few years stop talking, Brexit isn't the only issue around stop talking about Brexit. Yeah, yeah. And one of the reasons of course it, it, it was so all consuming over the last, particularly over the last Parliament Mm. was that there was always something going on. There was always some sort of excitement. There was always some drama. There was the Mm. possibility of stopping it. There were all those kind of close shaves. Mm. It was like there was a lot. Mm. And now we are just at a period where essentially on that front, nothing is happening. Like there was no drama about the, you know, you just sort of raised, you know, you didn't raise an eyebrow when you saw the withdrawal bill actually pass through Parliament because you knew after the election that was just going to happen. And so it's sort of like, it doesn't, just because it's not consuming everybody every day it doesn't mean that it matters yeah. less it just means we, that we're there's basically only, r- nothing to talk about
2: we've run out of season finales and all we have now are the mid-season episodes which is just dull exposition it's been poorly sequenced
0: but, <laughs> you're,
1: yeah, but your point Alex is is that it's the atrophy that could kill us rather than yeah. any big seismic exactly. moment that everyone will suddenly realize oh gosh this was a dreadful idea what can we do to put the brakes on um you know we, we all know that it's july is the sort of big crescendo point because it is highly unlikely we will have got any kind of a, a free trade agreement by then and if we haven't extended transition period by then we've passed the deadline and but then again we're way back into real no deal threats and we've already seen the government starting to ramp up some of that planning again so maybe, maybe the summer offers a moment where people will maybe. begin to panic.
2: Maybe, but all, although I think we will probably do a deal that's a transition but not a transition because it will be sector by sector and so they will say we stay in transition for sectors well, but, a to y but, but we've really brexited on sector z but that it, the eu is really fishing. pushing
1: back on the sector by mm. sector stuff because that's cakeism that's back to the uk will want those sector deals on the sectors where it has an advantage yeah. and won't want it on the ones they'll where it doesn't. still take
3: I mean- it over no deal though Because they're not mental. I I don't think the second thing will happen, but I do think that you're right in, in this sort of... They'll sign it. And then it will be like, look, three year implementation, two year implementation, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so you've got the deal, but ultimately transition continues in everything but name. So they have a way around it there. Your your general concern is, I think, the right one politically, that we could get all these small events. Like let's say in lots of cases, factories won't close down as a result is. What they'll do is they'll just shift functions. So all the high value <clears throat> yeah, little knowledge by little. stuff yeah, goes over. And it's you know, mm. an article on the second mm. half of the business papers, yes. and lots of those, mm. but no real killer sort of moment that does you. However, I do think the next year, at some point, it's going to start swirling up again of turning this negotiation into culture war. And the, the most obvious place to me is, is Fish absurd is it I mean someone showed me today that the British video games industry is twice the size yes, of the yeah, fishing yeah, yeah, yeah. industry and yet you know who the fuck would ever lose their mind over what's going to happen to the video games industry yeah. who are all shouting please we need immigrants we need people <laughs> whatever you know nobody cares but well, the fishing thing it's just the reason that I think it's just because it feels so symbolic you know what I mean like the the Give us our fish. Our fish, right? And it's so obviously like the law is on our side; you get to have the stuff. But of course, if you do, then you're going to have the tariffs and trade. It's quite easily understandable. It's territorial. It's exactly. territorial. Yeah. And so I think I, I suspect that that'll be the issue yeah, that fi- just twists fish, into cultural war. Fish
1: so abide by territory. Renowned mm. for it. <laughs> Absolutely renowned for it. Um, what, what I think is quite interesting on that point is that the seats that Labour lost were on average poorer than their what are now their heartlands. But in their heartlands, you have much greater economic disparities so cities where you have the ultra rich and the most deprivation and the the seats that they've lost are on average much poorer and i think that's really interesting because um the 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 people who are on modest but secure incomes in small towns are much more cautious about their political choices compared to somebody in a big city who is in some senses forced to be okay with insecurity yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and change and things like that so i i do think that even if a factory doesn't close in a small town but a significant chunk of the you know secure jobs that aren't the sort of zero hours ones that are the sort of mid-range jobs move elsewhere then I think those MPs and the red blue wall whatever we call it now will begin to be you know lobbied pretty quickly by the mm. local businesses and the ecosystems that support that factory Or, or... Mm-hmm.
0: Is it the purple wall now then? It's <laughs> <laughs> a bit of red, bit of blue mm. a Bit of <laughs> anger
1: that <laughs> bit of UKIP coming back with her purple.
0: Um, Naomi, you and your best written crew um, have been fighting the good fight. How are you going to spend uh, Friday? Are you going to pretend that it's just not happening? Or?
1: I think that probably is best for everybody's mental health. Um, I was speaking to a, a news producer the other day. I won't say which channel, but they said, look, it's going to be wall to wall, awful celebration coverage. We're all being mandated to do it. Take my advice. Just don't turn on the TV or social media on Friday. Uh, until it's all over it's just going to be sick sick making and and dreadful and really boring coverage actually and none of them are particularly looking forward to having to cover it so yeah we're not doing anything um, special for it uh, you know other than encouraging people who want to do something to donate to a good course and I think we'll probably chat through a few of those in a
0: Well, if you're wondering (laughs) exactly what physical cash to donate to a good cause, the Brexit 50p coin will be in circulation on Friday, just months after millions of the same coins with the wrong date were melted down. (laughs) But now it's back, back, back. Um, Some Remainers have seized the opportunity to become exactly what Leavers think they are. We had Philip Pullman uh, saying that literate people should boycott the coins because they're missing an Oxford comma, which will certainly certainly endear him. (laughs) To people of red car, who have very, very strong opinions on the Oxford comma, um, other Twitter users have suggested taking permanent marker and writing ihar EU, or in one case a swastika to show that this is the equivalent of the 1933.
3: Yeah, no, and I would strongly urge people not to do it. <laughs> no, that, to invest. It could backfire. <laughs> I,
0: I don't know. Writing swastikas. No, I. It's, I'm against the swastika. <laughs> Um, And there's also been, uh, you know, sort of mockery of spelling mistakes on pub chalkboards, advertising Brexit parties and so on. Um, Now, I know it seems weird, but some people are really quite excited about Brexit and they feel quite sort of happy that this thing they voted for is happening. Can't we just let them have their sort of parties and knickknacks and silliness? No. Without Um, being dicks about it on this week?
3: Well, I mean, I love being a dick. But um, it's not, it, that's not the I think the thing is, can we separate them out? Because the coin seems to me to be fundamentally different. No one's like, go have your party in the thing. I mean, I'm not going to, well, no one's stopping them. I reserve the right to take the pit. I mean, if you've got Julia Hardy Brewer and Anne Whitacombe making a speech in the rain outside of Parliament with alcohol being banned and you want to go attend that then you are your own worst enemy and you just go fucking (laughs) is that actually happening that's the thing that's happening yeah amazing yeah and and i'm sure i'll see you there (laughs) 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 but i mean that's fine so that's your own but I, i also reserve the right to take the piss out of that because that is just a demonstrably piss takeable event that is that is happening um if you want to have a pub thing, have a pub thing. If the Tories want to put out a tea towel with a picture of Boris Johnson going, got Brexit done, then do it. And I'm going to fucking say... That Did you, that you make is... that up or is that also no, a No, thing? That's, that's fucking... Right. Thing. Everything I'm saying right now oh, okay. is real. All right. And that is, like, the naffest thing I have seen in my life. And I'm going to say that. It doesn't mean you can't buy the thing if you fucking want to. The coins is where it changes and it becomes like an actual political thing because you're like okay now you're stamping your shit on the country you're, you're taking up the but, communal space that yeah, we because but but, but I'm but, but a
1: republican f- sorry I mean this is like like welcome to being pissed off with the currency you know I don't want to have the queen stamped all over everything but I like to suck it up constantly
0: putting swastikas over yeah, her yeah, face
1: yeah, <laughs> okay. but, you know like whatever like it's just yes another offensive but I remember as, I remember as a kid there was to there was a the,
0: joining the EU 50p coin mm-hmm we've had all these hands joining up. It was like a 1973. Okay. You weren't born then. I wasn't born in, no, I wasn't alive then, but they were obviously still in circulation when I was a kid. And I remember being like, what's with the coin with the hands on? And that did commemorate joining the EU. Obviously, I'm really, I want to make it clear, I'm really unhappy about leaving the EU, (laughs) but I don't know whether these symbolic things are kind of things that I should be particularly angry about.
3: But isn't the difference that we're currently in what is obviously a tribal war over this? And I don't think that is the case for, for the monarchy. And I, I don't think it was the case when we joined the EU. These were different scenarios. It's not to say that they can have no meaning to them. I mean, of course, you you have Adam Smith there, you know, on a, on a particular note. And some socialists would say, well, I don't really approve of Adam Smith. They'd be wrong because he's a fucking f- f- fantastic bloke. But what can you do? Um, in the middle of tribal warfare, to put a stamp on the coinage for one side seems to me to be a kind of sneering enjoying yourself attribute which which is connected to the idea of saying we are the people the will of the people of st- pretending that the opposition doesn't exist and that there is a national movement there so the coin to me seems completely separate to the other stuff the other stuff just fucking get on I think
0: it, I think it was unnecessary to put a picture of
2: Frank Mansoir riding a bulldog
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that re- that really rubbed it in <laughs>
2: I see I see Donald. both sides I totally take um, Ian's point which I think he uh, expressed it last week as they're making a grab for shared neutral mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. basically. Um, but also, I mean, when was the last time you looked at the 50 peas in your pocket? There's a Jemima Puddle Duck one that apparently sells for 50 quid on eBay. There's a Kew Garden one one that sells for 150 quid. If you've never looked at the 50p coins before, why would you look now just to upset
0: yourself? I
3: agree, but it's the principle. But if you don't I'm want this... I'm not you... home staring
0: at my 50p. <laughs> no, you are, though. You <laughs> are, though, aren't you? <laughs> if, but if you don't want this foul shrapnel in your pocket <laughs> uh, and you would like to donate it to a good cause, uh,
2: where could you send it? I think you should be donating money to a good cause, yeah. whether you get the new 50p or not. Um, and I no literally I only donate money that I physically hate <laughs> <laughs> I, <can't. laughs> I only donate
1: vegans can't eat Swiss even really physically use repulse they're all me. covered in tallow now so yeah money's long been what is, so, is
3: money very difficult for you it's is like money what, is the queen yes. and made of animal yes it's like
1: this entire but, now but Brexit could,
3: <laughs> could we su- could we suggest some worthy
0: recipients
1: yes Joint Council for the Welfare of Immigrants before uh-huh. Ian says it
0: brilliant
3: <laughs> uh, uh, 3 million Brits in Europe
2: Bromanis, Remain in Spain? Remain in Spain is for British residents um, in the EU27. All those are good, good suggestions. And the Good Law Project, of course, will fight plenty of battles ahead.
1: And the Trussell Trust.
0: We'll put links to all of these out on social media. Because it's a special week for all the wrong reasons, we asked our listeners for a few more foreign language clips, and we got a lot. So we're going to dot them around the show. We'll start with Gabby Holgrave's with some Spanish, plus James Papanikolou with some Greek. Nos pueden quitar de Europa, pero no nos pueden quitar nuestros valores europeos: solidaridad, fuerza y buen humor, hermanos. Esto es para
3: largo. Adelante. Gere Johnson, que acredexi
0: Spanish one means they can take us out of Europe, but they can't take away our European values. Solidarity, strength and good humor, brothers and sisters. It's going to be a long road. Keep going. Well,
2: very inspiring. Thank you. Alex, what does the Greek one mean? It's so rude. I can't possibly translate it on the podcast, (laughs) but so delicious that I'm actually going to put it on Twitter.
0: Next up, at the end of this particular long road, you may ask yourself, well, how did we get here and where are we going next? Past five years, seen enormous political upheaval across the country. With Brexit, things are likely to be pushed even further and a priority for Boris Johnson may be keeping the union together. Keir Starmer is calling for a fully federal UK with further devolved powers being granted to Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. It's an evolution of the patriotic third way supported by Gordon Brown at the last independence referendum. Then in Scotland's case would give it more power over things like taxation, welfare and fisheries. Fish, Ian.
3: Yay. Can't wait to talk about that for the next 12 months of my life.
0: I mean, if we did this, would we become FUK, Federal United Kingdom? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we'd have to pronounce it FUK. You go, oh, no, I can see. No, it's fine. It's pronounced FUK. <laughs> As
2: a further nod to the north, you
0: see. I okay. said FUK. FUK. Naomi, Emily Thornberry said at a hustings that she hates the SNP. I think their Tories wrapped up in nationalist clothing, which seems like a bold pitch to Scottish voters. Is there is there any way that this kind of plan is going to win back
1: uh, parts of Scotland? No, no, no. No, no. I mean if you've lost a lot of voters to the SNP, I think you can safely assume that those voters don't hate the (laughs) SNP and so if you say you do. I think
0: I'd need to see the data on that. (laughs) (laughs) They
1: they definitely don't. I mean, look, uh, there are some people that voted um, to stay in the UK in the last Indy Ref because they were won over by the issue, the argument that that's how they stay in the EU. And of course, now that is definitely not the case. And so Mm. independence may be more attractive for that particular sort of hardened set of um, open society, Remainer type people. Um, But look, I think where Emily needs to um, learn a lesson from is the Lib Dems in 2015, who started the sort of the Lib Dem fight back. And that was the hashtag that did all the rounds, like hashtag Lib Dem fight back. Fighting back against who? You're fighting back against the voters who rejected you. You know, it's just it, it it's bad language for politicians to talk oh, about yeah. hate and fight back. And you know, we've got to no, no, that is not how you do it. That is not going to get you anywhere. And I think I, I I expect she almost immediately regretted saying it. It's a it's just weird thing Not too, clever. Is it? I know. You know, even I don't support
3: Scottish independence, but I just don't see how you could hate the. It's just like no. they're clearly fellow travellers. Like they're clearly talking in the same. Just just odd, bizarre thing for her to have about. Maybe come. if they
0: just took an entire country from you thus making it very 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 hard to get a majority you would bear a grudge maybe that's it
3: maybe that is it maybe that is the sum total of her thoughts
0: no I mean, do you think the snp's hold in scotland is is pretty secure whether or not there's an Indyref ref too which obviously at the moment is looking is looking very unlikely i mean are, are they going to continue to be dominant for for a long time to come
1: i don't sorry <coughs> i don't see what um labor is yet offering scotland um there are lots and lots of former Labour voters in Scotland that would like to vote Labour again and aren't really being given a reason to. Um, so it does at the moment feel like there is this sort of, you know, Tory renaissance and um, SNP grip. And, you know, that's a shame for, for Liberals and Labour. I mean, look, how many um, brilliant Liberal MPs came from Scotland? Of course, Charles Kennedy, um, Min Campbell, others, Um Lots of our former leaders have been Scots, uh, David Steele. Um, And that sort of non-conformist... Liberal attitude that you had in the Celtic fringe, the sort of the rejection of authoritarianism, centralisation of power, um, now doesn't go to the the centre left parties. It seems to be going to the you know the, the nationalist party, and then those that rail against it to the conservatives. So, you know, we, we'll continue doing our MRP and keeping an eye on what's happening in Scotland. But really, the the challenge is to Labour to offer Scotland something, and at the moment, it, it just isn't.
2: Effectively, what happens is. That when you make a debate binary, when you say it's this or that, then the people who benefit are the parties who represent this most strongly and that most strongly. So the only way back for, for Labour, I think, is to make the debate less binary in places like Scotland and to say, no, there is a third way. You know, there's a reason that worked in the 90s. Um, so... Because the more you push against that issue, I think the more you polarise the debate and basically people go to either the SNP or the Tories. You have to remember that this suits both the SNP and the Tories. You know, the the more it's polarised, the more the voters go to those two. I mean, the Tories were nowhere near Scotland and now they're second in a lot of seats. It's the same thing that happened in the European election you know in the last european mm. elections that's why both tories and labor got squeezed out by you know the brexit party and the lib dems because they in a binary debate they more clearly represented this or that in a sort of straight up proportional vote so that's that's what, how voters will always behave when you make it all about either one or zero mm. and you have to say you have to present a vision that says it's not about one or zero it's about actually finding a way through that brings the country together.
1: The only thing that does seem to be hurting the SNP a bit is their sort of financial management of Scotland is beginning to cause them some headaches and you know they haven't dealt with certain issues as well as, as some voters there would have liked and that will the Tories will be going very very strongly on that um, and whether Labour can be can convince voters that it is trusted on those sorts of things remains to be seen. At the moment, the the polls would show that they you know they don't. Uh, even people that are sympathetic to some of the Corbyn economic policies don't they then score low on trusting Labour to actually be able to financially deliver them.
2: But also they're popular because they have a popular leader. You know they look professional, they sound professional, and that goes a long way. And that is something that Labour has to understand as well. That actually someone who presents, you know, the, the shop window of the party being a really clear, strong offering means everything. Well, talking of which,
0: Becky Long-Bailey mentioned, <laughs> albeit only in one sentence, uh, progressive patriotism uh, in her initial Guardian article, I think. Big backlash. Um, surely every Labour government, every sort of successful Labour Party iteration, has had a version of progressive patriotism, even if they haven't called it that. They are both progressive, and they seem to not hate Britain.
3: Yeah, it's weird, isn't it, that a party running for government of Britain would not hate it, because apparently that's how parts of the left demand that they behave. And think about it only as, like, all Britain ever is. is just colonialism, and all it's ever done is just kill people. And that's that's the entirety of your of yourself. But the thing is, if you're having a conversation about progressive patriotism, I sort of think, no, well, something's gone wrong. Because patriotism is a love story it's basically like someone going like oh let me I just think there's this really complex way that I can talk you know about how I love my husband and you're like why on earth would you need to work out how you love your husband? Let's talk about it in some way. It's just like, it is a love thing. But it's That's like someone at a dinner just... party just suddenly going, I love my husband. And they're just like,
0: oh, maybe you don't <laughs> love your husband. <laughs> that you brought it, you. it up. Yeah. Right, yeah, maybe you shouldn't be talking about trying to just sound blink, patriotic. You know, if you need help. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it's like a lot of things that that, that Labour has to do in politics you do it without necessarily flagging it up this is it
3: it should never be I mean Gordon Brown you know for what it's worth back in the same period was having exactly the same problems Mm. do you remember he spent almost his entire time partly I think because he was so petrified about the fact that he thought English voters wouldn't accept him as a Scot Mm. he spent so much time just going on about British values and the more you did that you're just like A, you're never going to be able to come up with that fucking list because there's nothing you're going to be able to point out on that list that it doesn't isn't represented by other countries as well. It's not that other countries hate the concept of fair play, Mm. you know. So talking about it doesn't help. It's just something that is there. And you reflect it by the manner in which you behave, by the kind of stuff that you put out, but you don't, for the love of God, go and make speeches about the damn thing. I mean, yeah, exactly. And, and the parts of the left that can't handle the word patriotism, it's like, you don't have to be patriotic. It, one of the fine things about this country is that it will not force you to go out every day and start saluting flags and expressing your patriotism all the time. You don't yet. have to be. But you, yet. yeah, exactly. Talk to me again in a couple of months. But I, But nevertheless, you don't need to hate people that do love their country just on the basis of the fact that they do. That is completely balmy. Now, of course, we've talked a lot
0: about Scotland, but it's not the only country in the UK. There's also plucky little England, (laughs) where (laughs) new new analysis from the local government association suggests that former Red Wall seats in the north could lose out on council spending to traditional Tory seats in the southern shires. Uh, And even city councils, often Labour-controlled, will lose money, while the county councils, often Tory-controlled, will gain money. Naomi, do you think that this is going to um affect the tories chance of holding on to these seats is it going is it going to kind of bite hard and people are going to be resentful do you, do you feel that people go OK, look we've we've given the tories a chance but now we appear to be poorer and our services are cut so fuck it
1: the, the the promises have been big and if they don't if they're not forthcoming it will hurt them whether it does immediately or whether there's this sort of slower burn as alex talks about earlier um, I think remains to be seen. Um, What I think is quite interesting is that there aren't necessarily this homogenous block of Tory MPs that will always toe the line. We've already seen this week that some ministers are happy to potentially get reshuffled out over Huawei. I think there will be backbenchers in that red wall who will begin to um, flex their muscle if, if stuff doesn't come their way and if the promises to their constituents aren't forthcoming. Mm. Um, and we've got local elections in little old England this, uh, up in thirds in May um, and we may well see a change in, in overall control of some of the, you know, bigger bigger council groups. So and-
0: because the Brexit rebels got booted and then everybody had to sign this pledge, yeah. I think we kind of assumed that there was this sort of, that Johnson was going to have an iron hold no, over exactly. his party and there were going to be no so. more rebels. No. But there will be, but just not yeah. about yeah. the withdrawal bill
1: and and they've signed up right so they, yeah, they pledged exactly. on the web they voted on the web they're yeah. now you know freer
2: the, um, i mean they are going to be more loyal than a, a, another intake because they will see him as the person that yeah. got them elected yeah. Yeah. so there is going to be a, a a percentage of higher loyalty but that doesn't mean they're not going to have red lines and it doesn't mean that when they look at the local polling if it looks like in four years time they're going to lose their job they're not going to start kicking back mm-hmm. obviously
3: plus they're young at the moment i mean young for you know young in Green. parliament yeah. right? Yeah. so you know it takes them a while before they start finding the confidence to start fucking around with it
0: let's have a few more of those foreign language clips here's joseph sherlock with some czech and laura marcus with a little yiddish which is, as she says, very fitting for Holocaust Memorial Week.
3: Vim Ich
2: yeah. hat uns von micham. surik.
0: Joseph translates as, "I know enough to know that I know nothing," which is also my hosting mantra. <laughs> And Laura says, you gave us peace in a century of war we will never forget and we will be back. Time for another round of our exciting new segment, To the Barricades. Going out on a high as he heads for Greece, it's Alexandreou's turn. What good and useful thing can our listeners do to stop the picture of Sajid Javid holding the Brexit 50p <laughs> from keeping us awake at night? Alex, inspire us.
2: Well, I'm heading out on Brexit Day. I'm back to Mykonos from my annual shift looking after Mum. Um, and I agonised about the precise date I was going to head out. So I'm heading out on Brexit Day, not the day before, not the day after. My birthday's the day before, and I'm basically getting on a plane the day after, which is Brexit Day, and fucking off on the day, because I thought it was the only way to force myself to avoid swearing at a television set for for 24 hours straight. This way I'll be in transit, I'll be on a plane, I'll be in a taverna, I'll be on a boat, and I won't watch any of it. And you should all do that. I don't mean everyone party back at mine, don't show up at my mum's house. (laughs) Um, But go back to whatever replenishes you. Let the Brexits have the, the, their day. They thrive on our opposition. They need your anger. Deny it to them. Go for a nature walk. Um, go to your favourite restaurant. Just treat yourself. Be kind to yourself. Have a manicure. Have your favourite people round for tea. Play Trivial Pursuit. Go to a 24-hour marathon of Jared Butler movies. Anything is better. Um, rebalance yourself. This is the midpoint of the struggle, not the end. Take the long view. Be a Lannister. This is the bit where they get to go off and celebrate their victory at the Red Wedding. You smile and wish them well, while you regroup and plan. This is the bit where you're made to walk the streets naked while Anne Whittagham <laughs> rings the bell and intones Schengen, Schengen, Schengen. <laughs> Take it on the chin. Go into your mind palace. Plan your comeback because we're Romaniacs and Romaniacs always pay their debts. <laughs>
3: <laughs> sort of reassuring but quite threatening. It was time. quite threatening,
2: <laughs> particularly the Red Wedding. Yeah. That's,
3: that's,
2: that's right. what I was aiming for. <laughs> yeah. um, an air of menace but they can pin nothing specific on me. <laughs> I really don't want to cut all my hair off though. <laughs> no, don't cut all your hair off.
0: Finally, we didn't want this week's show to be a downer. But it's a big moment, and if the Labour Party isn't doing proper periods of reflection, then at least we can. Brexit's been the big issue in our lives for a long time, and all our regulars have spoken at length about issues close to their heart, whether it's EU citizens' rights, the Constitution, or a certain dreamy president of the European Council. (laughs) We're all different people than the ones who discovered that we'd voted to leave the EU four years ago. So what have we learned about Britain and ourselves in that time? Uh, Naomi, start us off.
1: Um, What I've learned about myself... Uh, is that I can actually function on far less sleep than I ever thought was even (laughs) vaguely possible. Um, And I think what I've learned about the country, I mean, the thing I didn't know four years ago was probably the size of the minority that are genuine xenophobes. And the moment for me, when I had that moment of realisation was that poll that came out and showed the number of leavers who were happy to pursue brexit even if it meant that they or their children lost their jobs hmm. and i think that was the moment i really okay i, I kind of knew they those people were there i didn't realize they were in quite the numbers that they were
3: ian um i mean the personal bit let me do personal encounter. i mean the personal let me say nice things um because i don't do it very often um the personal bit was mostly that because i never really fucking like sort of trade stuff or fucking customs and all like i obviously never listened to that shit and then you had to read about it and write about it when stuff happened and what that taught me was this thing of like everything is interesting like everything in this world is interesting when you actually look into it and actually spend a bit of time on it and that's quite a nice thing to discover And one of the odd pretty much the only positive i can think of with brexit is that it actually by trying to understand what the fuck was going on, it forced you to understand the world that was underneath your feet. Like I would, i going to like get meals and I'd be like, Oh, where the fuck is all this stuff coming from? Like the plate, the food, the table, like how is it all done? And so actually there's more of a, to be interested in things is to have like a commitment to life. And weirdly enough, finding out about tariffs <laughs> has helped me do that, <laughs> which is, I was not expecting. That was a plus point. The stuff around the country is I've obviously had an, so, you know, I used to have this really complacent, well, you could call it progressive patriotism about me. of just thinking like, well, Brits are always just, they'll just, you know, live and let live and they're super tolerant and we've got all this stuff to teach the world. And, and obviously that has been cut up, but it has been replaced with this sort of sense of like, it's really hard to keep your shit together and stick to your principles when it feels like everyone around you is changing. And for the last few years, and we're going to see more of it in the next few years, it does feel like the country just shifted on its axis towards a more Farageist, Little Englander appeal to, to the past. And those, and, and that's not just those guys, by the way. That's also the guys in the middle, the sort of herd pragmatists who will go, right, that's just the way it is. So now anyone that doesn't just isn't living up to reality. For the last few years, I've just had the pleasure of being surrounded by people in my personal life, but also on social media or that you meet outside who won't do that, who are just like, no, I know what I believe in and I'm going to fucking stick to it. And it, it is a, it's been a, like, it's a privilege. Like it's a privilege to be surrounded by those kinds of people. And I think afterwards, when I look back on this period, like 30 years time, because it will include the next few years, it'll be just thinking like, that really was something nice and, and pleasant and with a sense of meaning and identity that, that came from this whole event.
0: Alex, apart from the discovery that you're a Lannister,
2: <laughs> what have you learned? How genuinely <clears throat> difficult and traumatic true democracy is, Um, how we've become accustomed to an executive capturing the legislature through the party system and actually the three years where we had a genuinely rebellious parliament which stood up to the executive how really hard it was and how unprepared I was for it and how a lot of my conceptions about how democracy uh, works were false You know, I I used to always think that that rule of law loses consent. All of that is based around the idea of procedural fairness. And actually, what I found out is that it's based as much around the idea that in four or five years, I get another go. And that's what sustains, I think, the system. Mm -hmm. And so when suddenly you had an issue where in four or five years, you don't get another go... Everything fell apart at the seams. And and suddenly people were saying, no, I, I can't accept that. Um, so that was, it was interesting times in the conventional and the Chinese proverb sense to live through.
0: Well, Risa, uh, I speak to Nick Cohen about George Orwell, uh, very on brand. <laughs> and we were talking about kind of which things that, that all got, you know, was... Enduring truths that he observed, and which things actually you now feel differently about, and one thing that lasted was his comments in the line in the unicorn about this sort of essential sort of very boring pragmatism and sensibleness and decency of the of the of the english people and Nick was going i don 't think that 's true uh based on the last five years um, and I suppose that 's a conclusion i 've come to that there's certain assumptions I made uh one about that kind of like the, the sort of steady as she goes fairly rational people which is actually just nonsense i don't think we're any more rational than than any other nation and just generally that feeling also of things things that one took for granted you know like the um certain kinds of progress and certain ways of of thinking and sometimes i have felt like i'm in this kind of quicksand where it's just like not only Mm. are there far more people i disagree with than i than i realize, but you can't even find stable ground on which to argue with them and the more you struggle the more you sink. Right. And, and i suppose there's that and you just constantly find yourself not just arguing with people on on, on points of principle but just arguing for, for certain facts to be acknowledged hmm. so i found that terribly depressing and you know, the uplifting thing i suppose is uh also spending a lot more time with people who are the antidote to that and I know that when people come into the podcast, that they're not just going to kind of lie to me and they're not going to ignore stuff and that sometimes we can disagree. And sometimes I ask questions being deliberately sort of devil's advocate. And sometimes I generally do think I probably disagree with people in the room. And I know that if people are going to disagree with me, it's going to be based on something. It's going to be sort of based on sort of some some truth and some decency and some respect. And that you don't have to sort of, Go through go through every fucking week in this country at this point of time feeling like you're just being gaslighted and beaten mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. So that's been nice. <laughs> We've reached the end of the show, which means with a heavy heart, it's finally time to bury the Brexit time capsule. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> a few weeks ago, we asked you to come up with the last items to be ples- placed... A few weeks ago, we asked you to come up with the last items to be placed in the capsule before we left the EU. We've had some fine submissions. Ben Atkins suggested all the euro coins from each country to symbolise Britain's missed opportunities. Beckett McGrath says Steve Bray's megaphone. Aww. Won't miss that. Charlie Hancock nominates the top indie band Dominic Grieve and The Amendments. Imogen Hardy suggests our revoke the shit banner from the People's Vote March. (laughs) Lots of people suggested the back catalogue of Romaniacs. And Sikita M says, John Burko, because he, while not perfect, was always not afraid to stand up to the government trying to bully Parliament. Johnson robbed him of the well-deserved Lord's seat, so at least we can give him one in the time capsule. But the winner is Robin Leon, who nominates the Gelderland Memorial in Oosterbeek, Holland. It's merely a piece of stone, he writes, but it's the most poignant and beautiful memorial I know of that commemorates Britain's role in bringing peace to Europe. It reads... To the people of Gelderland. Fifty years ago, British and Polish airborne soldiers fought here against overwhelming odds to open the way into Germany and bring the war to an early end. Instead, we brought death and destruction, for which you have never blamed us. This stone marks our admiration for your great courage, remembering especially the women who tended our wounded. In the long winter that followed, your families risked death by hiding Allied soldiers and airmen, while members of the resistance helped many to safety. You took us then into your homes as fugitives and friends. We took you forever into our hearts. This strong bond will continue long after we are all gone. Thanks, Robin. You win an one-off mug and t-shirt set. Wear it with pride. And with that, we are closing the lid on the Brexit time capsule. And we will be burying it in Dover, where a surprisingly amount of traffic with the continent. It turns out,
2: w- when not it be better offshore, <laughs> in the Virgin Islands somewhere? <laughs> It'll accumulate nice bit of interest,
0: or like in a in a tax
2: haven. <laughs> Fuck it, we're just going to go full elitist
0: tax havens for all. And that's the show. Thanks to Naomi, Ian, and Alex. Godspeed, Alex. We will look forward to you rejoining us. At least somebody will be rejoining something <laughs> in the near future. This is not the end of Romaniacs. We'll still be back next week and every week after that until you don't need us anymore. Plus, if you're after an extra fix of the Romaniacs cast, don't forget our new podcast, The Bunker, covering a broad range of topics and introducing plenty of new voices. Now it's time for our theme tune, Demon is a Monster by Corner Shop. And before we do the list of Patreon backers, here's one last bit of French from longtime Patreon backer Claudia Fitzgerald. Hopefully, it needs no translation.
3: Au revoir et merci pour tout le poisson.
2: Special thanks from you to Charlie Rhodes, Steve Walsh, Carl Renner, Andy Lauder, Rupert Davis, Roger De Freitas, Jessica Stevens, Katia Goschke, Marina Edmund, Gillian. Anna Mack and Peter Marshall
1: Hello and big thanks from me to Imogen Willits Edmund Vonderberg Alex Gibson Graham Hazel Jess Jathwa Lee Burchell, James Sinclair-Smith John Taylor Leon Planken Lisa Sollers Jacques Strauss Richard Jackson and Margaret Higgins
3: And hello from me to Kofi Carbell, Linda Wenbom Will Saoirse Holloway Farouk Naji Ian O'Donoghue Bob Trevelyan Henry Barnes Elizabeth Ragonier, Imogen, Vincent van Moppes, Tim Pritlove.
0: And finally, my thanks go to Ingrid Sigerson, Nicola Kalk, Mark McIntyre, Mark Sheeran, Andrew Bunting, Rob Lewis, William Twyman, Dr Isabella Butcher, Nathan Foster, Mary Allen, Quiet Spots and Greg Sermats. Have a peaceful weekend. We will see you next week.
3: Romaniacs was produced and presented
0: by Dorian Linsky with Ian Dunt, Alexandreou, and Naomi Smith. Audio production and scripting was by me, Alex Reese. The producer is Andrew Harrison, and Romaniacs is the Podmasters production.